Welcome to our mindfulness podcast. Each week or so, we will have a different podcast, different speakers, different chants, different Dharma talks. But mindfulness practice in Buddhism helps us focus and helps us be aware. And this program will consist of many different ways of meditating. We usually begin with bowing or gasho, then we prepare to sit, and we will sit for approximately 10 minutes. And then we will either stand and walk for another five minutes to kind of get blood into our legs again and and, uh, relax our muscles. And then we'll sit for another 10 approximately. And then we will chant, which is another form of meditation. Uh, We focus on the characters and we pronounce the sounds as a group. And it's a kind of a ritual of oneness. And then after that, we'll have a short Dharma talk of about five to 10 minutes. And then we'll close with Gasho. And this also includes offering incense. We offer incense, but you could also light the incense before the service starts. And this is kind of the program uh, of how our meditation services proceed. And so we will be getting underway today uh, with our program. Thank you very much. We will begin with sitting meditation. Find yourself a comfortable place to sit, either in a chair or on the floor. On the floor, you may prefer to sit on a cushion with your legs crossed or folded beneath you. On a chair, sit without leaning back with your feet planted evenly and comfortably on the floor. Sit comfortably erect with shoulders back and your spine straight. Rock back and forth and then side to side to find your center. Your head should also be straight with your eyelids lowered but not closed. Focus on a point a few feet in front of you. Your face should be relaxed as you breathe quietly. Hands can be placed in several positions. In the classic mode, rest your left hand in your right hand, with thumbs touching and comfortably laid against your abdomen. Or you can touch thumbs and forefingers together and rest them on your thighs with palms up. Another option may be to fold your hands on top of each other on your lap. The key is to find a position that is comfortable and that can be maintained in stillness during the meditation session. While sitting, try focusing on your breath, counting them to 10. Breathe in, one. Breathe out, two. Breathe in, three, and so forth. You may find distractions such as the sounds around you or your own thoughts. If that happens, observe them, acknowledge them, and then let them go. Begin counting your breaths again from one. We will begin and end each session at the sound of a bell. At the end of this first session, you will be asked to place your hands together in gasho and bow. Gasho means putting your hands together and bowing in an expression of gratitude. You may choose to intone the words Namo Amidabutsu as you gasho. We will begin our first seated meditation session at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu, Namo Amidabutsu. Take a moment to stretch your legs, and we will have standing meditation. The feet should be about shoulder width apart, with the knees bent slightly. Upper body position is the same. Back straight and centered, shoulders relaxed. Eyes half open. Standing in this way is a reminder that we can extend this way of being to our life when we're not engaged in meditation per se. We might be having to wait for someone to arrive or wishing some person would help us. They don't seem to be interested in our problem. Instead of becoming upset and agitated, we can have a moment of standing meditation.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. We will begin our second seated meditation. Please be seated. You can resume your former position. Again, back straight, eyes lowered, hands resting comfortably in your lap, legs crossed or sitting in a chair. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters. And each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character. And it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. We will now chant Ju Sege. Say. Hey. 
Please put your hands together in Gasho and bow. Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts, Namo Amidabuts. Hello, this is Reverend John Turner, and I want to discuss something that's pretty complicated and confusing, I think, and it's because of the use of language. In the Pure Land tradition, there's a notion of self power and other power. Self-power, at first glance, seems to be talking about trying hard. And other power sounds like something, a divine power from outside ourselves. And both of these are a mistaken interpretation of these words. It's not really what you do, but how you do it. And so I wanted to give you an example from my childhood that kind of explains two approaches to learning how to ride a bicycle. This is called Balancing Self-Power and Other Power. In 1965, 
I was five years old living in Westchester, California, which is not too far from LAX. Our neighborhood consisted of families who, like mine, had just bought their first home. There were children my age up and down the street and around the block. We would play together after school until the street lights came on, and then we would all run for home to have dinner. We got a lot of exercise running from house to house. We loved climbing trees and playing hide-and-go-seek. But one day, there was a revolution. It was a technological advance that I had not seen coming. One of my friends rode up on a bicycle. I suddenly realized that the feet people would evolve into the wheel people. I needed to be part of this movement to remain socially relevant. Luckily, I had an old red vintage bicycle in the garage, really vintage. It even had solid rubber tires, no air. I got it out, dusted it off, hoping I could just immediately ride away with my bicycle friends. But instead, I immediately tipped over. I needed help. I needed someone to teach me how to ride a bike. This responsibility was shouldered by my father. For weeks, he would run alongside me, holding onto the back of the seat, helping me balance, saving me from tipping over again. But ultimately, I would have to go solo. I would have to learn to stay balanced all by myself. But each time my dad would let go, I would fall. I tried so hard. I held the handlebars so tightly and would quickly jerk them back and forth, trying to maintain my balance. If I felt like I was drifting to the right, then I would jerk myself to the left. I was always overcorrecting. I was overthinking about balancing myself rather than experiencing balance. After weeks of effort, I was feeling defeated. I think my dad was even losing enthusiasm for this father-son project. At five years old, I felt that I would never successfully ride a bike. But this would mean losing contact with all my new mobile friends. There was one option left for me. I also had an old vintage red scooter in the garage, again with solid rubber tires. I swallowed my pride and rode away. I was the only kid riding a scooter, but at least I was still riding with my pack. I decided to make the best of it and enjoy my scooter. Over the next month or two, I got really good on the scooter. I could fly up and down the street, often faster than my bicycle friends. I was truly free. But then one day, as we were taking a break, I got on one of my friend's bikes. It felt comfortable this time. It felt part of me. And for some reason, I just rode away. My eyes were as big as saucers. I rode all the way home to show my dad that I was now a cyclist. It seemed too good to be true. I was able to ride a bicycle without ever having to practice. But I had been practicing effortlessly on my scooter all along. When I had given up trying to balance myself, I had unwittingly let an internal sense of balance develop within me without any calculation or effort. Of course, riding a scooter takes much more effort than riding a bike, but the effort was different. This is much like the difference between self-power practices and other power practices in Buddhism. We often think of these two in terms of nouns. For example, a self-power practice is sitting in meditation, while an other power practice is saying Namo Amidabutsu. But I've recently realized that it might be much more effective to think about them as adjectives. In my example, I was practicing self-power cycling and other power scootering.
When I had given up trying to balance myself on a bicycle, then I was able to let the scooter balance me. It was a different perspective. I wasn't trying to accomplish anything. I merely wanted to get from one end of the block to the other. It was only then that my internal center and that of the scooter were able to merge. The scooter had become an extension of my body. I present this example not as a metaphor for religious practice, but as an example of how effective practice actually works, religious or otherwise. This is how we can find our balance between our finite self and the infinite self while merely saying Namo Amidabuts. Thank you very much. Namandavats, 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 Namandavats. This concludes our podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and gained something from this segment. Please join us again. And thank you. Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. This program is copyright 2022 by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved.